We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Book of the Bible, Ruth chapter 1. We'll begin there this morning. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the, women, the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go and return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband." So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them? Till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? 
But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. You sense the emotion there, the frustration, the ruin that she has felt, the hand of God she feels that has come against her. Verse 22, So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Join me in prayer, please, and thank you, Jansen, for sharing that reading of the word. Welcome in, folks. Good to see you this morning. Don, good to see you back there. All right, let's pray. Father, we want to come before you and thank you in advance for your support and supply for the ministry of this assembly. You have been very kind to us over all the years that I've been involved with the ministry. Uh, before uh, the church called me as the pastor and after, and I want to say on behalf of the whole assembly, thank you for that. Lord, I pray this morning for those that aren't feeling well. Uh, no one of our brothers can't be here this morning not feeling well. I think after traveling, perhaps picked something up on the way, and we, uh, we ask that you would be with him especially and also his family. Lord, I want to pray, too, for our brother James and Betty. They uh, traveled this past week and are uh, there caring for James's dad, and we pray for him, too, and pray that you will sustain him and encourage his heart. We know that they have and their family suffered loss in the recent days uh, from uh, someone passing out of this life, but we're so grateful that that person just passed into the presence of Christ. And so it's a matter of time, of patient waiting until we would be able to be, or they would be able to be rejoined again together with their loved one. Thank you for that truth and the promise. Lord, I want to pray for our brother and sister Jeremy and Damaris. We, from time to time, take a time slot like this to pray for our missionaries, and we're privileged to be able to be with them today after many years and uh, a long time being thousands of mile distant, miles distant from one another. Thank you for that privilege today. Lord, we pray also for the uh, circumstances in their home church there, and uh, we pray their co-workers are finding a, uh, that it was a good day today, that uh, they had a good turnout, uh, that they've been able to lately minister to lots of folks and visitors and even see some come to know the Lord. We pray, God, that you would help those ones uh, with special needs that they mentioned in their uh, report this morning, work in their hearts and encourage and strengthen them. I want to pray for Jack and Bev, too, as they uh, go around with their, on their furlough and pray that you will bless and keep them. Help them as they minister to families, to churches, and I pray for their friends who, whose daughter was to be married and suddenly died of natural causes before the, the wedding uh, was even able to take place. And uh, I imagine the family, and especially that young man, are just crushed and in grief. And I pray, God, that you would 
work in their, that situation and provide uh, care for them. They might feel a bit like Naomi felt, Mara, because it seems perhaps that you've dealt bitterly with them, but may they seek your face and seek uh, the reasons, uh, what they can learn and how to grow from this circumstance that you have uh, brought them into. We want to pray, Lord, for some special ones that are on our hearts in these days. We pray for Alexis. We pray for Ashley. We want to pray also for Ryan and for Erica. And, uh, Lord, we don't have to say anything. You know everything about them and all their needs, and we lift them up to you. We thank you, Lord, for the youth group meeting last night and for the others who came to the parsonage. We just had a whole whole crowd over there, and uh, it, was a, it was just a busy time and wonderful to see everybody enjoying themselves and having fellowship and being outside and inside and all of that. Thank you, Lord. Give us many more times we pray like that. We also want to pray especially for Bonnie today, for Abby, for Bailey, for uh, the associates of these ones. Uh, you know their needs, and we commit them into your care. For us, Lord, I pray, as I mentioned earlier, that you would help us to be, in a way, dissatisfied until we are, are, are able to work with uh, another person to share the gospel with them or to train them more in the things of God. Each one of us, uh, as I said before, should have someone that we're working with to help us to mature and someone we're working with to help them to mature in the faith that you would work in us, that we would be busy about that sort of thing and, and have a, a, a feeling that this is why we are here, to minister the gospel and minister the word of God to one another. So help us, we pray with that. Thank you now, Lord, and pray again that the rest of the service will bring honor to you. Use us despite our weakness, despite our not only weakness, but also sinfulness. We confess our iniquities before you. And Lord, if there anyone, is anyone here who is not of a mind to confess their sin, Lord, would you, would you cleanse them? We know that the means of that is only the blood of Christ. And so by so saying, we're asking that you would bring them to a recognition of their need, that they would confess their iniquities and that you would cleanse them and answer to your faithful promise in 1 John 1.9. But, Lord, give them time. Be patient with them, we pray, as you have been with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, good morning, everyone. It is a joy for us to, to be here and to have been able to present the country of France uh, and uh, what the Lord has been doing there uh, in our lives and in the ministry there in Amiens. And we thank you. We thank you uh, deeply for uh, your prayerful uh, generosities and uh, just also when you send the cards and the pictures of people, and it helps us also remember, oh, yes, we remember them. Uh, <laughs> and when we go to churches, we see familiar faces. Because, yes, it's been nine years, and nine years is long. Uh, but uh, God uh, has been uh, gracious to us and uh, uh, helping us uh, come back on furlough this summer and to be able to uh, report to some of our churches and visit some, some new ones as well. And uh, we are thankful that we're towards the end of this. Uh, we fly back uh, to France on uh, the 29th of August, 
And we'll just have a few days, especially for the boys, pray for them. They'll just have a few days to get over jet lag, and then school starts. Uh, so uh, keep them in your prayers, uh, please. Well, this morning in uh, the presentation that you saw, you saw many uh, people and uh, different uh, uh, names that uh, we, uh, of course, ask you to, to pray for. And uh, through our prayer letters, you get all these informations as well. And, uh, of course, we encourage you to uh, go visit our website as well, lifeforfrance.org, and you can sign up to receive our prayer letters by email. And uh, so you get more news that way and uh, prayer requests as well. But uh, this, uh, this morning, I'd like uh, for us to go in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. And we'll be looking at the hearts of people. Now, Paul, in his epistle to the Romans, reminds us that, well, heart is where we believe. Heart is an important part in how we uh, trust Christ and we uh, repent from our sins and we are redeemed and brought into God's family. And when we look around us in our everyday life, we have all sorts of people, all from different backgrounds, but also various problems as well, various difficulties. But all of them have the same need, the same need that we had at one point in our life, and that is God's grace. And so as Christians, we are called. We are called to make disciples. We are called to, to go to all nations. We are called to be witnesses of Christ's grace and salvation uh, to us. And we are to seek those hearts. And as the Lord himself, when he was looking upon the crowd, was moved with compassion, we must have that same compassion when we look at people around us. And I know it's getting more and more difficult to have that compassion when we see this world uh, going uh, more and more into sin and people being so aggressive and grumpy. And I mean, even for me, it's been a real test of patience coming back to the states and driving the speed limit and watching everybody else just zooming by and respecting nothing passing on the right and all that and you know god has protected us we could have had several accidents uh but yes and we we see we've seen even in france you know after uh, the pandemic and the lockdowns that yeah a lot of people were more grumpy and aggressive, and you can tell that people have problems and difficulties. And we Christians have this beautiful endeavor to bring them the solution, for them to have their hearts changed by Christ himself. And so this morning, yes, I'd like to look at four different hearts. In this chapter 16, we see Paul's ministry uh, taking him to Derby and Lystra and then Philippi. Uh, but we see four different people, at least, that Paul had interaction with. Four different hearts and different backgrounds and situations. We read at verse 1 of Acts chapter 16 that uh, Paul and his crew, they uh, came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. 
Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Of course, that verse 5 is what we missionaries and you churches who are sending out missionaries and supporting missionaries, that's what you'd like, we'd like to see. Churches being established in the faith and for them to increase in number daily. But before we reach that point, we need to seek the hearts. Here, the first heart we're going to see is an adopted heart. Because Paul encounters this young man, Timothy, and we, what we know of Timothy is not much. But what we do know from this passage and from, of course, Paul's letters to Timothy, we know a bit more of his background. But here we know that his mother was a believer. She was a Jewess. She was a believer. But then his father was Greek. And nothing is said more about his father, leading us to understand that most likely his father was not a believer. But we see here an adopted heart because when Paul meets Timothy here, he is already a disciple. He is already someone who knows Christ. And for any one of us who uh, while are engaged in sharing the gospel and uh, telling people about Christ, you've probably met people who would say, well, yes, I am already a believer. I am already a disciple. So yes, here Timothy is already an adopted heart because he is part of God's family. He has been adopted by the Father himself into his own family. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful image of what God does when you have a young man in a family that is divided regarding faith. To see this young man and, of course, the influence of his mother and grandmother, which had a great impact in his life, that this young man, well, was special. And Paul saw that. So much that it tells us that Paul, well, decided to have Timothy come with him in his missionary endeavor and to, to train him, to teach him, to take him under his wings. And Timothy here uh, is adopted once more because Paul would become a, a father figure to Timothy. And Paul himself would look and speak to Timothy as being his son in the faith. And it's so beautiful to see God's work here in the life of Timothy. Now, we don't know how Timothy came to know the Lord. Maybe it was through Paul's ministry as he was in Derby and Lystra prior to that. Maybe, of course, the influence of his mother and grandmother. But what we do know of what Timothy became through the book of Acts, what we read, and then through Paul's letters is we see that Timothy became an important part in Paul's ministry, a faithful co-worker in the ministry. So, yes, an adopted heart. But then we look a few verses later, after, of course, this passage of 
what we call the Macedonian call, where we see Paul wanting to go to Asia, but then the Spirit of Christ uh, forbids him to go there twice, and then he has this vision where he clearly understands that he needs to go to Philippi. And we arrive here on, uh, at verse uh, uh, 13. It was a Sabbath day. They went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the woman which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So here we're in a different setting. In Derby and Lystra, they meet Timothy. He's already a believer, a disciple. But then they arrive there in Philippi. And of course, from what we read here, uh, we understand that there was probably no synagogue there because usually that's what Paul would do is look into the city for a synagogue and go preach there. And most likely, well, there were no synagogues there. And so he, they looked for a group that would meet somewhere outside the city. And there by the river, they find this group of women. And they meet Lydia. Now, Lydia is a different heart. This was an open heart. You notice with me that this woman, Lydia, well, she worshipped God. But Lydia was not from a Jewish background. In fact, in this passage, we have here the first conversion of a European uh, with Lydia coming to know the Lord. But yes, they are there, they have this prayer meeting, and Lydia, who is a businesswoman, apparently a successful businesswoman, because she is there in the city of Philippi, most likely to sell uh, her goods, uh, the purple, which was used and bought by people who had a lot of money. And we understand that she had a lot of people working with her because it tells us about her household. And, uh, but a successful businesswoman who worshipped God. But then... God had to open her heart. And when her heart was open to listen to Paul, to what he had to say, and we don't have all the details here about what Paul said. It skips right away to verse 15. She was baptized. So we have to use a little bit of deductive reasoning here and understand that she, at that point, trusted Christ as her Savior and was baptized because we know that Paul would never baptize anyone who would not place their faith in Jesus Christ first. But here, an open heart. And this open heart, believing unto Jesus Christ and then being baptized, while well, this heart became an adopted heart as well. And the fruit of her salvation, of her faith. We see her humility when she asked them to come to her house. If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord. So, such a humble heart already there. But she desired to do something for the Lord. In helping these men. To, to host them. To probably feed them and take care of them. 
an open heart that became an adopted heart. But then in verse 16, we come across a very different heart this time. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her the same hour. Now here it's a very different heart. What we see here is a tormented heart. And the reason why this heart is tormented is obvious because it tells us that this poor girl was possessed by an evil spirit. But then also, she was a slave. She was a slave of masters who took advantage of her, making money on this poor young girl's condition, being tormented by this spirit. Of course, as she is following Paul and his uh, crew, she is shouting, yes, these men are the uh, servants of uh, the Most High God, which show us the way to salvation. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, right? She is saying the truth about what these men are and what they're doing. But we can understand also the danger of having someone possessed by an evil spirit proclaiming these words, following Paul, and for people in Philippi to then associate, well, Paul and this spirit of divination, they're preaching the same thing. So and you can see the danger of that. But then Paul, of course, being followed for several days with this young girl shouting these words constantly. And most likely, you who are parents, you can relate to that. You've probably had kids who would pull on your sleeve or your, your leg there, mom, mom, dad, dad, dad. And we can understand sometimes how that can be annoying to have someone always calling, 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 calling. But here, imagine for days, they're trying to preach the gospel, and they know the condition of this girl. And at one point, Paul being grieved, well, he turns around and he casts out this demon. So now this young girl is freed, liberated from this evil possession. But the sad part of this story is we have no indication at all that this girl came to Christ. In her condition, even though she was freed from that evil spirit, she was still a slave girl of evil masters. And from what we know, we don't know the rest of her life, but she might have remained tormented in her sinful condition and most likely tormented for eternity because of her sins. A tormented heart. So, of course, after this event, the masters, verse 19, they saw that, well, their hope of making money was gone. What do they do? Well, they grab Paul and Silas. They bring them to the rulers. Paul and Silas are thrown into jail. And here we come to our fourth heart. 
because we see that at verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. This heart was a desperate heart. A heart that had lost all hope. Now the prison's guard's responsibility, of course, was to make sure that the prisoners would not escape. And for him, being awake from this earthquake and seeing the doors open, his conclusion is, they're all gone. You've probably had situations like that where you, you've lost something and just the, the feeling that you have, like your heart is dropping to the floor. <gasps> but this man, whose life most likely revolved around his work, that was his job, that was his responsibility, and now everything's gone. He knows that when his superiors know that the prisoners are gone, that he would probably face way worse than the possibility of just taking his own life. We, we know that back in those days, it was not just like, well, you're fired. No. There would be torture and probably then death. And most likely, you would never find a job like that, even if you're just fired. But a desperate heart. But then a voice cries out of the night, Paul. Crying with a loud voice, saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Now, this prison guard, he is faced with something that he would probably think impossible. I mean, everybody, each one of us, if we were in that situation of Paul and Silas and having this earthquake and the doors being open and the chains being loose, what would we do? We would run. We would get out of there. But Paul and Silas didn't. Neither did the other prisoners. So, of course, this prison guard, he can't believe, cannot believe it. He, he got a light. He wanted to see for himself. And he falls down before Paul and Silas and then asks the most important question any human being should ask. What must I do to be saved? It's interesting how his question right there and then is about salvation. Why? Because this situation is desperate, hopeless. But also because just like the other prisoners, he most likely heard Paul and Silas praying to Christ, singing the praises of the Lord. They witnessed. Not in the way that we would think, of, well, let me share the gospel with you. But they witnessed their faith by saying, by praying. And most likely, this prison guard, like everybody else in Philippi, had probably heard of this Paul who had cast out this spirit 
of Python who had cast out that demon and freed that girl, he probably heard that too. So, of course, now seeing that the doors were open after this earthquake and then hearing that voice from Paul, do thyself no harm, everything comes to a logical conclusion. What must I do to be saved? And so Paul here, of course, shares this. Verse 31, we all know, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And what we see here is Paul, Silas, sharing the gospel, sharing God's word, and this man coming to know Christ as his Savior. And so from a desperate, hopeless heart, he became adopted as well. He became a believer and he found the hope that only Christ can give. And we see the fruits of that faith as he brings them to their house after he is baptized. And all of his house as well. They take care of Paul and Silas. They wash their stripes. They brought them to their house. Gave them food to eat. And they rejoiced in believing in God with all his house. What an evening for Paul and Silas. But to see how God intervened as well, that, well, through the Macedonian call, that Paul ended up in Philippi. He was able to meet Lydia, this poor young girl, and this prison guard. Now, of course, for us, we can easily draw a connection with these hearts and the ones that we have met in our ministry in France. For those who were here during Sunday school hour, you saw in our presentation about Emily and Rebecca and Estaniela. They too, just like Timothy, they were already disciples when we met them. They too, like Timothy, they've had in their homes the influence of godly parents who taught them not just the importance of being in church, but the importance of living a life for Christ that is meaningful. And that automatically brings people to take part in a church life. And to see uh, Emily uh, joining in membership and then uh, helping us in different aspects of the ministry there in France and to see the others as well being more involved in the ministry in France. We too have our Timothys and we thank God for those. But we also have our Lydia's. We also have believers who like Lydia, well they worshiped God but they did not know Christ as their Savior. And I'm thinking of Ridion and Amélie, which you saw in the presentation as well, who were Jehovah's Witnesses. They worship God, but they don't know Christ. They believe in God, but they don't know Christ. And it is amazing to see how God worked in their lives and how God used this pandemic and the lockdown, because it was during the lockdown that they went online and started researching and found this preacher in the States and listened to sermons on YouTube and heard about Christ and who he is and about his grace. 
And I remember when Amelie gave her testimony of salvation. When she finally understood that it's all about grace. Because, of course, for Jehovah's Witnesses, it's works, 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 works. And that's why they're fervently, every Saturday, going from door to door. <laughs> but grace, God's grace. And when they came to Christ, well, their desires changed. Their desire to worship God even more, but also to serve Him and to do something. They, 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 they come... They drive over an hour to come to our service on Sunday morning. And it's not always easy for them. They have two young ones. Sometimes one of them is sick, and at the last minute they decide, that, oh, we cannot come, but complicated for them. But we are encouraged to see their desire to be with us and to learn more. And for me, it's just amazing how, of course, you know, with the pandemic, Lots of people suffered. People have passed away. Families have been broken. I mean, the way this pandemic affected people, uh, even in France, people who have changed drastically careers because of the pandemic. People who, even during the lockdowns, realized that the one they're married to, well, I cannot live with such person. And couples and families were broken apart. And it had such a dreadful impact on society. But then, to realize that because of the pandemic and lockdowns, churches started to stream online their services and sermons, and that thousands of miles away, a preacher here in the States had an impact in the two lives there in France. And when we'll be in heaven, we'll, <laughs> we'll realize the full impact of, well, God allowed this, just like he allowed the persecutions in Jerusalem for the believers to go out and finally spread the gospels to Judea and Samaria and to the other most parts of the world. But then we also have in our ministry some tormented hearts. In our presentation, we shared about uh, Roman and Gregory, two men with mental illnesses whose lives are difficult. They are tormented. The first time that Roman contacted me, he right away told me about his condition. He suffers from schizophrenia. And he asked me, can I come to church? I said, sure. There's no problem. Of course, in my head, I was thinking of, okay, this is new to me. I'm going to have to do some research. And, <laughs> and thank God, I have a, a sister-in-law who is a, a nurse in a psychiatric ward. And so I was able to get some more input from, here, from her uh, and advice. But as we were talking on the phone with, uh, with Roman, it was clear to him that he needed help, that he was in a tormented situation. He, years ago, he had been in contact with the Mormon church. And in the Mormon church, he was baptized. And after being baptized, he felt some healing, relief. For him, he was healed. And he links his healing to 
being baptized. And after a few years in the Mormon church, he left that church, and after a while, his condition came back. Still tormented. And so every time we have conversations with him, whether it be me or Brother Abbott, the same questions always come. What must I do to be baptized in the Baptist church, he will ask. And every time we have to tell him, you're asking the wrong question. The right question is, what must I do to be saved? Because the fact is that your condition right now is nothing compared to your spiritual condition. You need God's grace. And I've told him many times, you know, when you do trust Christ, you need to know that God may or may not heal you. I mean, Paul was also suffering in his body. And Paul as well prayed for God to heal him. And he could probably have asked other fellow apostles, hey, can you come and heal me? No, God's answer was, my grace is sufficient. And so I remind Roman that God might keep you in that condition for you to see his grace even more and for you even to be an instrument in his hands that you could help others with your condition for them to know who Christ is. But to this day, Roman is still tormented by his thoughts. He has the hardest time making any decisions in life. So making that decision to trust Christ and repent of his sin, there is a blockage there. And pray for him to to have that removed so he would clearly not only understand the gospel, but come to Christ. But we have another tormented man, Gregory. And his condition, well, mental illness is the same, but his condition is way worse. So much that he is more of the desperate type. He's written to me several times in letters in which he shares his desire to end his life. To buy a box-cutting knife in order to do that. He suffers so much because in his torment, he believes that everybody is against him, that his neighbors are against him, that he will just walk out of his apartment because he cannot find any peace or rest in that apartment, and he would just walk for miles or hitchhike. And usually he will go to where his mother is buried, and he will spend a few days there out in the streets. Before... Coming back on furlough, I had to go pick him up, and he was an hour away from his home. Someone called me and asked me to come and help Gregory, and Gregory was just, he had lost all energy. He had walked so much, so tired that he couldn't do anything. So I went to pick him up, and of course, in the car, we started talking, and Gregory, and I understand that he, he needs attention and he needs love. And we, and we do try to provide that every time uh, that he comes to church. But he turns around to me and he will tell me, ask me, well, this makes you sad, doesn't it, Jeremy? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it does. 
because I hate to see you suffer when I know that you could have a better life with Christ. And then he will look at me and tell me again about his desire to, to end his life. And I tell him, Gregory, I don't know all the struggles that you have. I don't grasp all the torment that you live in your life right now. I can try and understand them, but I don't know them. But what I do know is that these torments right now are nothing, nothing compared to the torments you will face in hell because you would not have placed your faith in Jesus Christ before ending your life. Because most likely I will not be there when you try to kill yourself. But you need, you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins before you do so. That's what I beg you. That's what I urge you to do. And so I brought him home, got him a little bit of food for him to, to eat. But he too re- remains in this tormented state. And there, there's, there's time where he is fine. You know, and we see he's, he's feeling good. You know, we can see a smile on his face. And we know that there are times where it's very difficult for him. If you, uh, one time we did have to call the emergency for them to come and pick him up. Uh, because he, he was really, really not well. But then, last month, I did receive news from uh, my coworker that Gregory had stopped at church during the week and talked with Brother Abbott. Mm-hmm. And, well, when we, I was talking with Gregory, he, he had told me that he had bought that knife. Uh, he told me that it was for him to defend himself against people who do him harm because being out in the streets, you have really dangerous peoples there. But there last month, Brother Abba told me that after talking with uh, Gregory, Gregory just decided to hand him over his knife. So it's, you know, it's these small steps and victories, you know, that we continue to, to pray for, but we ask you to pray with us for him to have complete victory, that he would find that solace in Christ, that he would be at peace, that he would simply trust Christ. And for, for, for us as you know, a church, of course, you know, it's, you, we have people of different backgrounds, and people are surprised to see people like Gregory or Roman that had these difficulties. They had a hard time at first understanding who they were, what was going on. Uh, but then, you know, we are a church where, of course, everybody is welcome, and we want to be a help to each and every one of them. But pray, please pray. Please pray for these men and others uh, who, uh, who have come to, to our church and for us to, again, to have that patience and that grace and that love towards these people. I mean, these are hearts. They are seeking that they're not yet seeing the obvious. They're still seeking. But pray for the salvation of these two men and for others as well in our ministry, like for Axel's uh, parents, their family. They've been through a lot, a lot of trials in their lives. Uh, and continue to, to pray for them to, to come to know Christ as well and for, for many others. But yes, 
when we start looking around and we start sharing the gospel with people, we then realize, wow, it is, for us, it's been almost a shock. You know, because both of us are MKs. We grew up in a Christian home. And we always, like, see our families, even though we might say sometimes we're crazy, but we see our families as, this is the norm, this is what God wants. But then when you see people whose families are broken, whose lives are broken, and you're wondering, like, how in the world? Well, we are reminded we're all sinners. And what we see in the world is the result of that sin. And that's even more reason for us to seek out those hearts. And we may not be able to solve people's problems, but we know the one who can. And that's what we need to do is tell them about Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, time this morning to, that we were able to, to worship you and to praise you. And we pray that everything was to you, honor and glory. But we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can see in the passages like uh, this one in the book of Acts that the heart of people, because that's what it's all about. Oh, yes, we'd like to see churches established and numbers growing but then we are reminded that it begins with us seeking those hearts. And we may meet people like Timothy or, or Lydia or the prison guard, but there's so many more like this poor young girl tormented in their sins. And Lord, I pray that you would use us, that we would be faithful and useful instruments in your hands to to show the way, to be that light in this world of darkness for people to, to see that their condition is not hopeless because Christ has paid it all and that he is victorious over sin, over death. And Lord, lead us, lead us to the people who are ready to hear the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.